between Caleb Morpin and Papal Bra. And today we're going to be talking about a subject that's on a lot of people's minds, which is the coup in Niger. And um, I'm going to start by asking Papal, um, Papal, what do you think is the significance of this particular event in Niger? Well, this coup is the, um, I would have said yesterday the latest, but it's what, what latest but one coup in West Africa, which is a part of a series really. And they, these coups basically are anti-French and they are expressing the desire of ordinary people through their military officers to the looting of their countries by France, notwithstanding the nominal independence these countries got in the 1960s they have been subjected to the strangulation of French economic, financial, and military uh, net, net, net. And they've been ruled by flunkies on their behalf who are local, and people are eventually getting fed up. So when you talk of a coup, the average European thinks what a horrible thing it is. It's not always the case. And these coups, especially in Burkina Faso and, and in Niger, are actually expressive of people's frustration with what the French uh, have, have, have been doing, doing, doing there. And these countries have no economic independence. The standard of living of the ordinary people is abysmally low. And when you look at the GDP figures, they are bad enough anyway, but GDP tells you nothing because it divides the whole income of the country among the entire population. But it's this distribution within the population and what imperialism gets out of it is simply not apparent in the GDP figures. So people are fed up and the officers who have come to power uh, in, in Niger under the leadership of uh, the former uh, head of the presidential guard, Major General Chiani, are saying the life of Africans is terribly bad and something has to be done. And the governments um, that they've replaced are thoroughly corrupt, thoroughly subservient to imperialism, in this case, especially to, to, to France. And Niger was really a haven for imperialist countries because they could do whatever they, 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 they liked there. And Niger, uh, while the ruling oligarchy have plenty of good times and they live in large um, palaces and live an opulent life, the ordinary people have miserable, miserable lives. That I think basically is the significance of this coup. It's really in essence, whether the leaders of the coup understand it that way, it is basically an anti-imperialist coup, expressive of the yearning of the people of Niger to get out of the clutches of imperialism generally and French imperialism in particular. It's actually a base for the subversion of 
all of that part of Africa. It's got two uh, of the largest drone bases that AFRICOM and the US maintain in, in Niger with about 1,500 uh, military personnel. France has got um, a base and it's got about 1,000 people in it. They're certainly not there to safeguard the people of Niger. They're there to safeguard their interests, not only in Niger, but in the, in the, in the neighborhood of Niger. Thanks, Dad. <clears throat> Sorry. Caleb, I was just thinking about how, you know, as a, as a British person, even a person on the left who takes an interest in what's happening all over the world and in the history of colonialism, um, I didn't have a lot of, or any really, understanding about Niger, particularly as a country, before this coup happened and I was suddenly struggling to catch up because it was in uh, what was formerly the French colonial part of Africa. And it tends to be that when you're a, a British anti-imperialist, you focus much more on the territories that were formerly under British control. So I know much more, albeit it's sometimes not that much, but in general, much more about, you know, liberation struggles in places that the British occupied colonially than I had done on the French. But it has been coming to my attention in the last year, two years, uh, that across the Sahel, we've been seeing um, Russian flags uh, being waved at popular protests. So it was clear that the popular movement has been has been bubbling under for some time, right across the region, not only in Niger, but Mali, Burkina Faso. The other thing that was really noticeable to me was there have already been similar anti-imperialist revolutionary, I would call them revolutionary coups in Mali, in Burkina Faso, I think also in Guinea, but none of those got the same headlines that the one in Niger is getting. And I wondered if you had any thoughts about, about why that might be. Well, the first thought that comes to my mind is that this is kind of a reversal of what we saw so often during the Cold War. Because during the Cold War, it seemed like there'd be many places like Indonesia or Chile, uh, where it would, be, it would be communists and revolutionary forces and anti-imperialists that would dominate the trade unions. Uh, they would dominate the academics and civil society. Um, they would they would have a popular election where they would elect some kind of socialist and anti-imperialist leader. And then the military would be aligned with the imperialists and would, would topple the government and, uh, and, and overthrow it. And this seems to be a flip. Uh, and this is more of a situation where it seems like the civil society institutions, like the trade unions, like academia, are now dominated by George Soros and, uh, you know, the Western... Uh, capitalist and imperialist institutions uh, that push kind of a, you know, social justice, uh, you know, blah, blah, whatever you want to call it, uh, fake left agenda, um, but are really serving the imperialists and they speak in the name of social justice and human rights and et cetera, but they're serving the imperialists. Whereas it's the military uh, that expresses the popular desire to see economic development, uh, to see the country break free from the domination of foreign imperialists, and the military uh, plays a different role. And this is a reversal of what we saw widely during the Cold War. Um, you know, and this isn't the only place. I think in Myanmar, uh, there's been a situation where the military has played an anti-imperialist role, has been friendly to Russia and China, whereas the civil society institutions, uh, you know, are, are serving the imperialists. So it's not just uh, in this part of the world that we're seeing this. Um, one is forced to think of the patriotic officers 
uh, throughout the Middle East uh, that oversaw the rise of Ba'athist Arab socialism in Syria and Iraq, uh, the rise of Abdul Nasser in Egypt. Uh, perhaps there could be a parallel made there. But of course, you have to look at every country and every region uh, with its unique history. You can't project uh, the, the history there. But it's very clear that the military is representing the popular will uh, of these countries overwhelmingly. And breaking free from the chains of colonial domination and setting across uh, uh, the course of independent economic development. And the great uh, Africa forum they just had in Russia demonstrates that. I mean, these countries want to develop. They want their people to rise up from poverty. The imperialists won't allow it. Uh, so the military has had to break them free. Absolutely. Um, Hopal, what do you think about the attitude of imperialism towards this coup? What has been their attitude and why? Well, their attitude is determined as, as ever by their own selfish in, in, interests. It isn't a question of it being a military coup. It's a question of what the ori orientation of that particular coup, coup is. If the coup is anti-imperialist, it's not much liked. It straight away ceases to be democratic because the meaning of democracy is you go to the ballot box every six years and you elect what you a government that you're told to elect. And if it's elected and the merrymaking can go on for the next six years and there is a, a free market, rampant free market imposed and there's privatization and you bring in the IMF, the World Bank and the usual culprits and they come down and their recipe always is it's like somebody starving uh, 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 to death and the doctor comes and says, you must give him no food. The people are starving and the IMF's prescription and the World Bank's prescription always is, you must take away all the subsidies. You must raise the prices of basic necessities like electricity, gas, cooking oil, food, etc., And you must lower the taxes, which means the rich pay even less taxes in the way of taxes than, than, than they did before. And this, of course, is something that uh, hurts ordinary people who may suffer quietly for long enough, but then there comes a time when they say, well, we can't tolerate it. I'm reminded of what Colonel Douglas McGregor recently said about Amer America. He said, we are the proverbial schoolboy bully. We go around punching people in the face and people take it and every now and then somebody gets up and says this is not right and punches the bully back in the face and the bully can't understand why somebody has punched him in the face. And so what people are doing in this way is actually punching imperialism in the face. They may not have the technology, they may not have the wherewithal to fight with F-15 and 16 jets, they may not have cruise missiles, they may not may not have Javelin missile, they may not have Leopard 2 or Challenger uh, or Abraham tanks, but they certainly have the spirit to fight because in the final analysis, war and battles are won among other things by the spirit of the people. People who are defending their homeland, they're fighting a just war they always have the ability to fight. Other, if it wasn't the case, you'd never be able to understand why the Vietnamese could win against US imperialism. Why 
for example, such a backward people with such backward ideology as the Afghan Mujahideen could win, win, win against the imperialist forces and led by United States of imperialism. So the, the attitude of the imperialists is that what these people are doing is they're doing some, some, something wrong. There's a difference between the attitude of the hunted and the hunter. When the game suddenly turns left and leaves the hounds running in, in a different direction, the hunters always says, oh, well, the rabbit has gone in the wrong direction. No, the rabbit hasn't gone in the wrong direction. The rabbit's agenda is different to save his own, own life. It's exactly the same. The attitude of imperialism is they don't like this coup. They like the Indonesian coup. And then they went on to organize a massacre of one million Indonesians. Uh, you know, the CIA supplied the list for murder each day to the Indonesian army of the fascist Suharto re re regime. So they're not against military coups. They're not, I mean, people only remember 1911. Long before 1911, there was a Chilean 9-11 where, where tens of thousands of people were killed because the Chicago consensus did not want the Chileans to have an economy which worked ind independently of them. So imperialism is condemning this coup. Of course, they can't condemn it by saying it's anti-imperialist. They said it's anti-democratic. It doesn't abide by the rule of the law. It doesn't go for free freedom of this and free freedom of that. Maybe all those things, but the most essential point are really the economic interests of imperialism on one hand and the Malian people, people on the other. So the attitude of imperialism is determined by its own interests. And of course, every country is connected with other countries. So it's not just Niger, but what effect Niger will have on other countries. What effect Niger, Burkina Faso, Mali, and other countries, and we come to that in a moment, what effect Gabon will have on imperialist interests. So really, that's what determines the interests of imperialism. Absolutely. I think both of you have highlighted something really important, which is there are coups and coups. And I think the imperialists, when they talk about coup, 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 they want to trigger in our minds the antipathy that the popular masses felt towards the coups that you identified, Caleb, earlier. All those coups where the CIA and MI6 were behind the overthrow using mi proxy military forces, the overthrow of popular democratic governments all around the world. So in our minds, when we hear coup, that's what we think of. But of course, uh, this particular type of popular-backed revolutionary action by some army officers also has precedent. You mentioned um, some Middle Eastern precedents, Caleb. The ones that spring to my mind are actually Cuba and Venezuela. In the early days of those revolutionary movements, they were led by small groups of, of army people who uh, you know, were not communist in the beginning, um, and, but who had the, the, the masses of the people behind them they were acting in the interest of the masses of people even though you know initially the the actions that they took was, were small you could say isolated military events but they they inspired the whole population and brought them into action in a really big way and i think that's exactly what we're seeing in niger it's been absolutely fascinating to see 
since the coup, how the people have rallied behind the coup leaders. And it's clear that they feel these people are speaking for them. One particular incident that stood out for me was when um, the, the new uh, Committee to Defend the Homeland, I think it's called something like that, uh, they went into the streets and tried to conduct a survey to fight, or like a census, to find out how prepared would people be to defend the new government against an invading force. And they had to stop the census because they were so overwhelmed with positive respondents, they actually couldn't continue recording the numbers, right? That gave them their answer, okay? So this idea that because it's a coup, it's therefore illegitimate and it's a putsch, it's clearly not the case. As you said, Caleb, you have to take every uh, event in its own context and not just try to trans transfer, you know, a kind of standard formula onto it. And I think that's really important to, to recognize and understand. And you also pinpointed something else, Caleb, which is development, you know, that these countries want to develop. One of the, um, you said, Rapal, about the, the, the terrible standard of living for the people of Niger. And, um, you know, one of our comrades wrote an article looking into this, and I was shocked. And one of the, um, one of the um, statistics that stood out to me from that article was that using Nigerian uranium, one in three French light bulbs is powered, right? But in Niger itself, only one in seven people are even connected to the electricity grid. Wow. <laughs> now, this is the relationship that we're, that we're seeing and talking about. And meanwhile, as you also pinpointed, the USA is home, or I think it was for Paul, is home to the, uh, sorry, Niger is home to a big US drone base, as well as to a French military base, from which they project power not only in Niger, but across the Sahel and Western African regions. So then we start to see this question of the solidarity that's coming from other countries in the region. And I'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts on, on that and those things, Caleb. Well, I mean, another thing that continues to come to mind, it's, you know, we need to understand how things went have gone down globally since the fall of the Soviet Union, because during the Cold War, it was very common for the United States to prop up these kind of authoritarian military regimes as a barrier against communism, right? Uh, particularly, you think of uh, Park Chung-hee. Uh, in South Korea, this authoritarian military regime, and that that the Western imperialists were forced to allow, uh, you know, Park Chung-hee to oversee some economic development to stabilize South Korea as a barrier against North Korea, uh, and that that you know, I and mean, there were throughout Latin America, there were a number of military juntas that were in power. Uh, that engaged in some kind of economic development, and the USA was forced to tolerate that to some degree or other because uh, their economic development would stabilize the society enough that you wouldn't have a communist revolution. But you'll notice that as the Soviet Union was falling, and especially most after the fall of the Soviet Union, then the United States worked to topple these very military governments that had propped up. The USA invaded Panama and overthrew the government of Noriega, and that, that these kind of military Bonapartist governments had been kind of tolerated by the United States uh, as a mechanism for holding back communist revolution, but they didn't like them because uh, they were a barrier to austerity. And the imperialists very much transitioned to a model of liking so-called democratic governments in the developing world 
i.e. governments that were so weak uh, that they could not stand up to austerity and uh, that they would just have to tolerate uh, whatever IMF uh, austerity neoliberal measures uh, these countries uh, you know, had imposed on them. And in country after country after country, they would transition to being more of a what they would call an open society. And that just meant uh, that you had a, an elected government, you had you know, open, quote unquote, free elections, but whatever government got elected had really no power to stand up to Washington, to stand up to the IMF, to stand up to the World Bank, and would just let the country be looted. Um, and that, that that seems to be the model that they like. You know, in, in Niger, before the military came to power, you can call it a, a liberal society, an open society. But at the end of the day, the French imperialists and the corporations were always going to get their way, no matter who was elected. Uh, the people were left in dire poverty and the country was ruled by Western corporations. Um, and that that is kind of the model that they want in the developing world. Um, and increasingly, uh, as the people of the developing world reject that, um, we do see, and it's it's very confused. You know, in the Dominican Republic, there there are a lot of people that that see how bad things have gotten under the domination of Western imperialism, and because there's not a Marxist revolutionary you know movement, they'll say things like, "Oh, well, we need Trujillo to come back." Well, Trujillo was the right wing authoritarian military dictator that existed in the Dominican Republic during the Cold War. Um, you know, and th that there will be kind of a weird nostalgia for the authoritarian Bonaparte regime the imperialist backed because people associate that regime with not the austerity that has come in since. And so this is the dialectic and, and the contradiction of all of this. But what we see, just like in Myanmar and elsewhere, and, and what we're seeing in Africa now is the military playing the role of being a barrier to the domination of Western imperialism, uh, raising people up out of poverty and associating and entering an alliance with Russia and China. And and one thing that I really I think I and I think Harpal probably knows far more about this than I do um, is that in particular when we're dealing with the French imperialists, uh, you know, the French Communist Party which is, you know, historically was the party of the Communist International, played a great role in the struggle for the liberation of Algeria and Vietnam. The French Communist Party has played a reprehensible, treacherous role in all of this. They supported the bombing of Libya. They supported the, uh, mil the military uh, intervention by France into Mali. And that the French Communist Party is really just a wing of the French imperialist state. They embraced uh, Euro-communism in 1978 and denounced the Soviet Union. And they have a lot of seats in the parliament and they control the, the, the CGT, the major trade union coalition. But they are basically allies and part of the French imperialist apparatus. And I was hoping that maybe Harpal or Jotia could touch on that because that's an important point to make as well. We have a communist party that's part of the French imperialist apparatus. Definitely. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, before sorry. I hand over, I just want to add to Caleb's list of the crimes of uh, French uh, communist party is that they voted for war credits for the uh, war against Russia in Ukraine. Papal. Yeah, well, I, I mean, both you and Caleb have said, said really what needs to be said, but what the French Communist Party went absolutely kaput ever since the onset of Christophite revisionism following the 20th Party Congress of the C CPS CPSU. The French Communist Party is not a late convert to the, to the side of French imperialism. During the Algerian War of Liberation, which was very bloody, the most bloody of the French 
colonial uh, people's wars against against France. During that time, the French Communist Party slogan was the same as that of the French bourgeoisie that Algeria is France, hmm. that it cannot be separated. Algeria is a province of, of, of France. Algerians could send de deputies to French parliament, but in no way did it do away with their subordinate colonial status within the empire. And in and the, the, the Khrushchevites did not support the lib liberation struggle in Algeria. They only when the Algerians had won did they straightway then rush to accept the new government and grant all kinds of facilities to the first liberation government, which was headed by Ahmed Banbela, who was later on overthrown by his uh, army commander. Uh, Boom at the end. But all the same, they did, did not support it. I'm afraid that is the tragedy of, of, of the so called left. The left is gutted. In fact, the only sensible people who make any good statements on these subjects come from the right. And I increasingly find myself in agreement with them. And I'm sure my political opponents in the so called left wing movement call me a fascist or a red, red, brown person, or whatever, whatever they, they like, they like to call. I mean, if a if a right wing person comes and says we've got nothing to do with Ukraine, we should look after our own our own people and attend to our own affairs. What what reason would I have to disagree with it just because it comes from a right winger? And if on the other hand the left winger saying that the war war in U the conflict in Ukraine is an inter-imperialist war or that Russian troops should withdraw. What reason have I to agree with such, such a person? I, I, I haven't. And re really, the, the, the basic point is that the left is a very corrupt left. It's become left only on certain issues, i.e. gender equality, sexual proclivities, um, and women's rights, at least in words. They don't really actually stand for women's liberation. Women cannot be liberated unless they are freed from the kitchen and the nursery, unless household tasks are made social responsibilities until women have the equal opportunities to participate in production as well as in political life. That can only come under socialism with creche, kindergarten, cheap nurseries, and, and good schools, etc. But since these lefts are opposed to proletarian revolution, I can't see that they are in favor of women's emancipation. Because in the final analysis, women's emancipation does not come from simply appointing a few women to the boards or even to the position of chief executives of large corporations, the liberation comes from women having real rights of equality in social life, as well as political life. So uh, that, 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 that is really the case. Caleb, I was um, thinking also about the, uh, the very uh, quick response of and the solidarity 
response, the brotherly response of nearby countries like Mali, Burkina Faso and Guinea, where also they have had similar uh, military coups, coups which were not um, opposed in the same with the same level of ferocity as this one in Niger has been. It feels like Niger, they've reached a tipping point where suddenly they, uh, the imperialists faced a threat of being evicted from the whole region. But it also seems as if those those other new coup regimes are, or governments are, are understanding that this is a this is a common cause. Indeed, um, indeed, and there seems to be a wave of independence movements on the African continent, and there seems to be a feeling on the part of Russia and China that Africa are the future, uh, that Africa is the future, and uh, we see a huge amount of investment from China over the course of the last few decades into various African countries, providing uh, infrastructure and development. And we see Russia with its Eurasian Economic Union uh, playing a similar role. And the imperialists have very much, they've sent their military to Africa. Uh, and they've, you know, tried to divide the African people on the basis of religion, you know, Christians versus Muslims. Uh, they've, you know, they've, you know, been caught funding uh, various armed groups and armed factions to cause instability. Uh, and the U.S. military presence, you know, AFRICOM is huge. I mean, it's massive. Um, and I, we can recall they've done all kinds of slick social media propaganda to try and justify it. You remember the bring back our girls hashtag. It was all about how the, the terrorists had kidnapped these these young women and Boko Haram. And so they had all the all the young people tweeting out and supporting supporting the presence of the U.S. military on the African continent and that they try to sell it with all kinds of slick propaganda. Uh, you know, this movie that they made uh, based on the comic book Black Panther, uh, it appealed to, you know, black nationalist aesthetics, kind of, you know, empowering black people. But but the the essence of it was to support the U.S. military presence on the African continent. This was a Hollywood movie where basically the, the heroes are, are Africans who team up with a, a white CIA officer and end up flying drones supporting U.S. imperialism. So they've done so much to, you know, try to make the case that, oh, it, these are peacekeepers, they say, right? We're there to keep the peace. Um, I think it's worth pointing out, you know, that the, the, uh, the International Criminal Court which is this body created by the imperialists, which is completely illegal. I used to work for U.S. Attorney General, former U.S. Attorney General Ramsey Clark, and he pointed out that the International Criminal Court has no legal standing whatsoever. If that, that had been included in the U.N. Charter, no country in the world would have signed on to the U.N. There is no legal basis for an International Criminal Court. But the ICC, the International Criminal Court, every single person who has been convicted by the ICC has been African. Every single one. Uh, so that reveals to you how much of a, an imperialist uh, and colonialist entity it truly is. Every single person that they've convicted. Now, prior to that, they did have the International Criminal Tribunal on Yugoslavia, but that was prior to the International Criminal Court. Every person that they have convicted has been of African descent. And on top of that, the U.S. imperialists are so afraid of the ICC uh, that they not only do they not sign on to it and recognize it, uh, but they've actually imposed sanctions on it because every so often it'll bring up uh, the crimes committed by U.S. troops in Afghanistan or something. Uh, there's even a law uh, the, the USA passed that if the ICC were to convict uh, a U.S. soldier or a member of the U.S. military, the USA would have the right to carry out a military intervention against The Hague. So the USA doesn't even recognize the International Criminal Court, but yet it'll use the International Criminal Court against African countries. They're now using uh, an ICC warrant that they've issued for Russian President Vladimir Putin 
their their relationship, the entire relationship the imperialists have with this so-called ICC, the International Criminal Court, which was very much promoted by George Soros and the liberal so-called human rights wing of imperialism, their entire relationship with it reveals how hypocritical they truly are. Thank you. Well, you've brought up three different things there, Caleb, that I want us to come back to. So I'm just going to tell you briefly what they are and then go to Opal. So one is um, this war on terror that allegedly the Americans and the French have been waging in Africa, which to me really comes back to the destruction of Libya. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit. There is the question of the, the, the revolutionary legacy of Thomas Sankara and to what extent that motivates uh, the what's happening in West Africa now. And then there is this global political, geopolitical shift with the rise and expansion of the BRICS. And I think all of these three we should talk about a little bit. But Hapal, maybe if we could start with talking about Libya, the effect that the destruction of Libya has had on Africa and on North and West Africa in particular. Um, be before I comment on that, there's one point I'd like to make. What has irked imperialism and agitated imperialism particularly with the coup in Niger, as opposed to the coups in other neighboring countries, is the fact that Niger has extremely important minerals that imperialism needs. The most important of which is uranium. It's the sixth or seventh largest producer of uranium in the world. Uranium is needed by imperialism for nuclear energy, for peaceful purposes, as well as for making uh, military armaments, and they wouldn't want to 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 lose to lose lose that. And Jyoti has rightly pointed out that one in every three bulbs in France is powered by 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 the uranium that comes from Niger, whereas the people of Niger only 13 or 14 percent have any connection with, with 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 the electricity grid they are without power that is a glaring thing and this uranium is not owned by niger it's owned by basically french companies a french company called oreno and it's a company which was part of the big electricity utility called no Ariva. okay not EDS. Right. yeah and and so so they're they're, they're extremely ag agitated by it but really they don't like any regime that wants to look after its own people be they from a very poor country or a mineral rich rich, rich, rich country and but if it is mineral rich then it's a special target for imperialism one of the tragedies of africa has been it is rich in minerals it's an extremely rich continent but because of its backwardness because of its inability to fight against imperialism it has been an easy target for looting that's the motto of imperialism uh, as the old Russian czarist time poet said about Russia, you are very rich, dear, dear mother, but you are very weak, dear mother. So we can come and loot you. 
That exactly is the motto of the imperialists and, and colonialists. They want to come and loot because you're weak, you're poor. And if a regime can stand up against them, it is straight away demonized. Now, you live 90 miles from Cuba, if you are in Miami, Caleb. What have the Cubans done against America? Absolutely nothing. In fact, whenever America is in trouble, they offer to send medical teams to help. When Hurricane Katrina struck the United States, Cubans offered to send doctors. Of course, they were refused. But the Americans would rather, the ruling class would rather have their poor people go to dogs and not be treated than have the insult of being treated by Cuban doctors. So they didn't, they didn't like Burkina Faso's regime because it was an anti-imperialist. It actually used terminology which was near Marxist. So Sankara had to be overthrown. He was murdered by one of his own trusted deputies who was bought off by imperialism. Unfortunately, for every patriot in these countries, there are 100 traitors who are willing to be bought if somebody will pay the, pay, pay, pay the price. So Niger is, 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 is different precisely because it, it's rich in minerals, especially this crucial min, mineral, um, uranium. Thanks. Did you have any thoughts on Libya, the effect of the destruction of Libya? Yes, it, it, it had a tremendous effect as Colonel Gaddafi had foretold during the time he was under attack, that he was fighting against Al-Qaeda, you know, the people who were sitting in one corner of the country fighting. And no, nobody would believe him, or rather nobody would pretend to believe him. This is rubbish. He's violating human rights. So in the end, they were able to get a no-fly zone resolution resolution passed in the United Nations Security Council, which means that the jihadis had a, the most powerful air force in the, in the world. The United Air Forces of the imperialist countries headed, headed by, the, by the United States. So the jihadis didn't win because the Libyans were weak. Jihadis won because imperialism threw all its weight, military weight behind, behind the jihadis. And of course, once Libya fell, there wasn't democracy. There were no human rights for women or anybody else. Libya had done wonderful things for Africa. First of all, black Africans from Africa could come and get jobs and they were treated equally as the local population. In fact, that annoyed some of the Libyans, uh, Arabs who didn't treat the Africans uh, with, with a sense of, uh, Brother, brotherhood and, and fraternity. Women were given rights. Probably Libya was probably the only country that introduced women, female so, uh, so soldiers in, into the Libyan army. Some of the bodyguards of Colonel Gaddafi himself were um, women from the, the, the Libyan army. They provided aid to other African countries. They helped African countries to get better tele tele telecommunications, thus depriving the Western companies of their lucrative business of providing s s s satellites 
and, and Libya provided the money and wherewithal for the Africans to have their own satellite that will give them the necessary uh, telecommunication sig signals they, they needed. But once, of course, Libya had fallen, it became a free market for slavery, prostitution, racketeering, Libyan wealth was stolen by the imperialist countries. And of course, it became the, uh, the hub for everybody from neighboring African countries who wanted to go to the Western countries as refugees because they're driven by poverty and starvation to find a place. And so there was a flood of refugees. It created a lot of problems for uh, European countries, especially Italy and Greece, which are the nearest to, 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 to the Libyan coast. And even a right-wing prime minister like Georgia Maloney said, you lot have done this to us. And she actually challenged Macron to say, Macron, this is what you've done to us. By overthrowing the Libyan government, you've created problems for us. You are sitting pretty in Elysee Palace, and we have to face the music of dealing with onrush of immigrants because the burden falls disproportionately on us. The other European countries do not share this burden with us. That is the complaint of, 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 of Greece as well. So the, the fall of the Libyan regime, the ouster of the Libyan regime has actually created tremendous difficulties, even for imperialist countries, but it's created a lot of difficulties for non-imperialist non countries. Libya was a de de decent place, and that is gone, at least for the for the for the for the time being. Thank you, Rapal. And you and I both had the uh, privilege of visiting Libya before it was destroyed, and so you know one can feel quite personally when one sees what has become of Libya compared to what we know it was. You know, and not not what was reported in our Western media that it was, but what it really was and what it had actually achieved. And particularly to be understood that, you know, before the Green Revolution, before uh, Colonel Gaddafi <laughs> came to power, uh, and probably they called that a coup as well, you know, 95% of the population was, I think, still nomadic, illiterate. You know, the, the, the transformation in the way that Libya's oil resources were used once they were nationalized, instead of being the property basically of British Petroleum, um, was huge. And at the time that Libya was destroyed, what was also destroyed was their um, plan to try to build up agriculture in the country by greening the desert. I was taken to see an exhibition explaining this project when I was there in 1999, the great man-made river project. They were very proud of the infrastructure they were building to use the huge aquifers underneath the desert to create irrigation that would create farmland. And they were, they were um, trying to bring people into agriculture by, by basically gifting them farmland to, to diversify Libya's economy and stop it being dependent on oil exports, which of course was always a source of, of uh, weakness and insecurity for Libya's development. Everybody knows if you want to be independent from imperialist uh, control and blackmail, there's certain things you need, one of which, of course, is food security. Uh, and this is another problem that people all over Africa suffer from. Although uh, food is produced in Africa, they don't have food security in those countries. Um, so 
the the fallout from the war war in in Libya was that you know a flood of um, drugs, weapons, and jihadis were unleashed across the world. Fapal talked about the flood of refugees heading north across the Mediterranean into into Europe, but heading the other way into Africa. There was this huge wave of destabilization, and in particular, this training and arming. You know, Libya has become like Ukraine, a kind of CIA playground. They can do anything they want there because nobody's watching, and, and they can get away with using the territory in whatever way they wish, uh, the imperialists, I mean. Um, so it's a place where the West, uh, the imperialists train and arm jihadi terrorists and set them loose across Africa, um, just in the same way they set them loose across Syria. You know, and then when these countries in the Sahel are facing this huge terrorist problem, they come along and say, let us help you fight a war against these, these evil terrorists. We're here to help you bring back democracy. Let us bring our base in. We'll help you. We'll help you. It reminds me very much of the way uh, that U.S. imperialism fought its war on drugs in Latin America. You know, first you make the problem and then you bring in your militia on the excuse of solving the problem. And of course, throughout the war on drugs, the, the drug situation got worse and worse, right? And it's exactly what we've seen with the war on terror in Africa. The longer it goes on for, the more the imperialists are allegedly fighting the terrorists, the worse the terror problem becomes. And one of the strong demands that you're seeing across the countries which have been kicking out the French bases is we need to get a handle on this problem of Islamic terrorism, which is devastating our countries. You know, we're facing so many problems, but it, the, the terrorism of these West Black jihadis is a huge one. Again, it never gets any press in the Western media, apart from occasionally, as if it's some, you know, oh, it's some weird homegrown issue that Malians and Nigerians have that they, you know. Uh, the reality is this was purely created and stoked by the West as a justification uh, for their activities there, to keep their soldiers there. Um, and of course, under cover of having their soldiers there, they can bump off anybody who looks like they're lead, leading a social movement that might be going to get somewhere. As we saw tragically for years and years and years in Colombia was the standard practice of the, of the USA and the, and the militias that it backed there. Um, so before we move on from this, uh, anything you want to say, Caleb, on the fallout from Libya? Oh, well, I think uh, a great example of the fallout from Libya is that one of the terrorists uh, who was armed by the British and American imperialists to fight against Gaddafi uh, bombed the concert in Manchester. Uh, you'll remember, right? You know, and the U.S. Uh, imperialist media and the British media did everything they could to cover up that this terrorist who bombed this concert and killed all kinds of innocent people was a terrorist who'd been armed and backed by the imperialists to fight against Gaddafi. Um, and that was a key detail that they just tried to leave out. Uh, they tried to make it sound like it was an issue of immigration. Oh, this is a foreign person from Libya. No, this is a terrorist, uh, an extremist who was backed. And the same kind of thing that the extremists who fought against Gaddafi and overthrew Gaddafi did in Libya, bombing civilians, killing people. He turned around and did it in Manchester and killed a bunch of innocent people. And they, they didn't want to have that conversation. And it was infuriating because there was no question about the fact that that terrorist and his father had both been in Libya fighting against Gaddafi. And then they came back and committed a horrendous act of terrorism uh, in Britain. Uh, and I think that, that that needs to be pointed out uh, as well. The other thing uh, that I think when we talk about uranium, 
we can't forget that despite the fact that the imperialists are, you know, they are all against Russia and they're all against China, um, that, that there are contradictions among them. And that one of the major contradictions is that when it comes to the global markets, the way the American and British imperialists keep their upper hand is by dominating the oil markets, right? BP, Shell, Chevron, ExxonMobil, that's American imperialism and British imperialism. Uh, and the French have always resented that. And that has made the French government big supporters of nuclear energy. Uh, because of that. And actually, the French nuclear energy program, uh, the, the physicist who started it, it's state run, and the physicist who started it was a member of the Communist Party back in the 1950s when the Communist Party of France had more of a revolutionary edge uh, at that point. Um, and that the U.S. imperialists have always resented the French for promoting nuclear power, so much so that during, uh, I believe it was 1981, uh, France was helping Iraq to develop peaceful nuclear energy. And with the backing of the United States, Israel bombed Iraq and murdered not only a number of Iraqis, but also a French scientist who was working at a nuclear site in Iraq. Um, and that's important. And that, um, I guess, shameless plug here, I do have a new book out, a polemic uh, with uh, a, a group in the United States called the Revolutionary Communist Party and its leader, Bob Avakian. But one of the themes in that book that I talk about is the role of French intelligence in manipulating leftism in the United States. And it, it must be pointed out that because there's an inter-imperialist rivalry to some degree between the French imperialists and the British and the American imperialists, a lot of leftist and socialist circles in the United States have become heavily infiltrated by French intelligence. Uh, you know, and, and that's not necessarily bad uh, because, for example, this, the movement to free the political prisoner Mumia Abu-Jamal and to end to prevent his execution in 1995, uh, much of the support for Mumia came from the French imperialists. Uh, the French imperialists are opposed to the death penalty. Uh, they, they see the practice of the death penalty in the United States as, as something that they're opposed to. And it's very clear there was a lot of support from French intelligence uh, for the movement to free Mumia Abu-Jamal and that the Iraq war protest movement, because France, because of their own contradictions, they were opposed to the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003. You know, in the USA, we started talking about freedom fries instead of French fries because we were so we were mobilized to hate the French. Well, during those years, it's very clear that there was a lot of covert support for the Iraq war protest movement coming from the French intelligence apparatus. However, now that that the issue is Russia and China, uh, where the French are on the same side as the other imperialists. Now, that is part of the reason that the Western left and the communist groups in the United States are not taking good positions on the, the Ukraine conflict. They're echoing, uh, they're echoing French imperialism. And I would believe, I believe largely, and in what I show in the book, is that French, French intelligence and the French imperialist apparatus has woven itself so carefully into the leftist movements in the United States that that has distorted their anti-imperialist character. Um, and there's a whole history of that. You know, France, uh, France, you know, welcomed Eldridge Cleaver and the Black Panthers and, you know, gave them refuge and that, that there is there is contradiction among the imperialists. We can't deny that. And and, you know, the French, the French imperialists, to some degree or other, have offered some covert support to American leftism. Uh, unfortunately, at this point, that's playing a negative role, I think. And that's kind of explains why a lot of leftists are bad on the issue of Ukraine and Russia. Very interesting. Thanks, Caleb. Kapal, I wanted to come on to the question of Thomas Sankara and his legacy in this region of West Africa and the Sahel, and whether you have been aware of connections and echoes and overt references to Thomas Sankara by some of these new governments. Well, 
the most overt references to that are being made by the present military government of Burkina Faso, headed by a young military officer called Ibrahim Traore. And he wants the legacy of Sankara not only to be preserved, but to be actually put into practice, whereby uh, you know Burkina Faso lives up to its its name of being the most incorruptible place and 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 and, and being a place of equality, etc. Uh, let's let's hope he, he succeeds. We shall have to see. But certainly that that resonates. And when he speaks, he is actually the same voice is resonates across many countries, countries in Africa. Um, he, he was at the Africa-Russia summit in his military fatigues and, and was, was welcomed by, by, by President Putin himself. But that, that's a long-term play. It, it will come because Sankara used to say in his life, you can kill a revolutionary, but you can't kill his ideas. Sankara's ideas have not gone away. There are a lot of people in Burkina Faso and in neighboring places who actually remember him. Uh, just as people in Congo remember Patrice Lumumba. He had been murdered. He may have been cut to pieces. His body burnt in, in acid. But, you know, he stands tall and he, he is a much respected figure uh, and, and his legacy cannot simply be done, done away with. But I think before we get bogged down in this one, there's a couple of other things we must discuss. Imperialism these days is not very happy to put boots on the ground to send its own soldiers. Because when you do that, the soldiers are as likely to come in body bags as they are in any, any, in any other condition. So they try to find proxies, cannon fodder everywhere. Like in Ukraine, they found the Ukrainians whose ruling class is stupid enough to allow itself to be used as cannon fodder to wage a war on NATO's behalf against the Russian Federation. Equally in Africa, they're looking for flunkies who will do the job of invading Niger and putting an end to the progressive military regime. And who should they find? The so-called ECOWAS. ECOWAS really is nothing but Nigeria. It's a country with the largest population in Africa. It has got oil resources, but it's so corrupt and it's so incompetent that while it's the producer of a lot of oil, Nigerian people do not get petrol because there's a shortage of shortage of pet, petrol in, in, in Nigeria. It's really like going to Himalayas and not being able to find a cube of ice. And that's exactly what, 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 is, what is happening in, 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 in Nigeria. There are seven refineries in Nigeria and none of them are, are, are working. And one corrupt regime replaces another. There have been military regimes, but even when the regimes are elected through the ballot box. They are corrupt, they are incompetent, and they pass then the buck on, the, the, the baton on to their flunkies. Like Bukhari has retired, he's given the baton now to somebody called Bola Tanubu. And what does he do? 
and he was a money launderer in Chicago for some relative of his. He's a thoroughly corrupt, corrupt, corrupt person. And how does he want to build up Nigerian economy, which is in real trouble by invading Niger as the head of ECOWAS? But of course, that has been paid. You know, that has been you know put a stop to by the three countries: Burkina Faso, Mali, and Guinea, issuing a statement that they are opposed to any intervention. And what's more, that an intervention against Burkina Faso would be regarded as a war on on them as well. Algeria has said that it's opposed to any any intervention. So if the uh, French troops or the American troops should intervene, they will find themselves faced not only with the people of Niger, not only with large sections of the Nigerian arm, army, but also soldiers from these neighboring countries. So it will be a very long war, which they can never be sure of winning. And that's the reason that this in intervention, which was supposed to come within a week, um, the, the, the new government had been given an uh, ultimatum. Within a week, restore democracy. I bring the corrupt flunky, Mohammed Bazoum, back into office. Otherwise, there will be serious, serious consequences. Well, the uh, military and the people of Niger have faced up to that threat by saying, fine, we'll do what you can do, we'll face you in armed struggle. We may not have the weapons that you have, but we will, we will face you. I mean, straight away, it's a poor country. Already people don't get electricity. ECOWAS, i.e. Nigeria, has cut power supplies to Niger by 90%. And they're trying to apply other sanctions. Sanctions are worse than nuclear weapons. They are really weapons of mass, mass destruction, where people are strangled. As Lenin said more than 100 years ago, American imperialism uses the, the starvation as a rope to hang its opponents, opponents with. And that's what they are doing everywhere through sanctions, economic sanctions, trade sanctions, commercial, commercial sanctions. So they're trying to actually subdue the people of Niger, Niger. But the people have been demonstrating in the streets of Naime, the capital of Niger, in support of the, the new military government headed by Brigadier General Chichiani. And what's more, some of them have dared to fly Russian flags. Although the Russian government has said they would like the civilian government restored, what else would you expect them to say? You know, but they're very happy to see the flag of the Russian Federation fly in the streets of streets of, of Naime. They were not part of of the coup. They they were not in any way involved. Although there are stories about Wagner being being part of it, they were nowhere near, near it. But once it has happened, it works to the advantage of all those forces that are fighting against imperialism, Russia included. The Chinese have said the same thing. They'd like a civilian government. Fine, excellent. People say, yes, yes, very, very much so. But we'll do what we want, we want, we want to do. And so uh, 
the intervention hasn't come because not only are the people of Niger opposed to that intervention and will fight against it, not only is it large section of its military opposed to it, I mean, the, the head of the army in Niger, General Isa, Isa or something like that, has said he's quite happy with the situation. You know, whether he is biding his time or whether he genuinely become converted to it, he, he's, he, he's ha happy with the Even the African Union, on which much, many hopes had been pinned, pinned by imperialism, has said that it's opposed to any intervention. The people of Niger should be able to sort out their own affairs. After all, when America was fighting its civil war, Foreigners didn't come to, come, 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 to, come to support one side or the other. And in fact, the British were very much in favor of the Confederates. And they tried in every possible way to help the Confederates. And one of the things they did was they fitted a Confederate uh, uh, ship, uh, you know, a warship called the Alabama. And what the Alabama then went on to cause considerable damage to the Navy of the Union for Union forces. And when the war ended in the victory of the North, of the North over the South, victory of the Union against the Confederates, the Americans brought a case against Britain for, uh, and because they had both agreed to go to arbitration. And the Alabama award in international law of the sea is very important. And several million dollars worth of damages were granted against America for that in intervention. And people thought America would not pay, sorry, Britain would not pay, but actually Britain paid because its trade interests demanded that it swallow this, this fine and, and carry on with life as though nothing, nothing had, had, had happened. So Britain continued, even after the independence of America, continued to be a trouble to the American re Republic. Early in the, in, the, in the 19th century, they bombed the White House. Uh, Caleb, Caleb, Caleb would know that, you know, just the sort of thing that America and Britain now go and do to weak, weaker countries. That, that's what Britain did. And then during the Civil War, they did everything possible to make sure that the slaveholders will win the war. They didn't win and eventually had to come and of course, the Americans took their revenge. After the First World War, when Britain was bankrupted, and especially after the second, FDR played a great role in the destruction of the British Empire. Anti-colonial struggle played as much a part as the FDR himself to destroy the British Empire by various financial means. So that's what imperialism does. Thank you. Well, before we finish, I do think I would like, if you've still got a bit of time, Caleb, to um, just talk a little bit more about the changing international situation, because, Rapal, you've highlighted there, you know, the actions of British imperialism when it was at its peak in the mid-19th century. Uh, we've had, uh, and then you've shown how British imperialism was in decline. You talked about it between World War One and World War Two, and particularly after World War Two, when American imperialism was at its peak. But of course, 
all the imperialist powers now are in their declining, a very much declining phase. And what we're seeing, the big global political shift we're seeing is the rise, the, the re-coming together, the re-coalescence of a strong anti-imperialist bloc at the same time that the bloc of imperialists is clearly declining in its power and influence. Uh, and I just wanted to touch quickly on what effect that is having on the timing of all of these liberation movements that they're breaking out. On the one hand, we've got, you know, a deep imperialist crisis. The whole world global economic system is in this huge crisis. And then if we think inflation is bad in the West, it's nothing compared to what people in the oppressed countries are suffering. In some countries, I know in Egypt, it's above 40 percent. You know, there's unrest and bankruptcies across the globe as a result of this inflation crisis. Uh, which is really the, the symptom of the overproduction crisis of the global capitalist system. And at the same time, you know, we have the weaponization of the dollar. We have the drive to war of the imperialists to, to kind of crush, try to crush all this dissent and retain their hegemony. But we also have the rise and now the expansion of the BRICS. We have a strong China emerging. We have another uh, a source of inspiration to people who are still striving, you know, 100 years after the onset of most of their liberation movements for for liberation. Caleb. Well, I, I don't really have much more to add. I will say that uh, one concern that uh, I think anyone observing the situation on the African continent has is we really would hope that the imperialists aren't able to utilize this situation to foment a big confrontation or a big war. Uh, and that, that was something that would be to their benefit, uh, even though there would be obviously revolutionary and progressive anti-imperialist forces on one side, as opposed to their puppets on the other side, uh, to create a big, huge confrontation with Africans killing Africans, um, that would benefit the imperialists and it wouldn't benefit the people. So uh, while at the, while we support you know the moves of independence, et cetera, we hope that there can be a de-escalation. I think that that would be in the interest of the global working class to see a de-escalation and not let the imperialists turn this into a big bloodbath for their own benefit. Thank you, Caleb. My own view is just like that of Mao Zedong. There's chaos under heaven. The, the, the situation is, is wonderful. What happens is when thieves fall out, honest people have a chance to get, get away. The imperialists are now in dead, 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 dead trouble. They are fighting to preserve their hegemony. And they're just managing somehow to keep a sem semblance of unity. Unity which has come in the aftermath of the Second World War, a special situation where other imperialist countries lay prostrate and America emerged as the strongest imperialist power. And America has been able to maintain its hegemony, first because of its economy. At the end of the Second World War, America accounted for about 45% of the global, global GDP. It now accounts for about 22% of the global GDP. It's come down. The, the uh, European imperialist countries' economies were wrecked, but they have been restored to a level where the European Union's economy is bigger than that of America. So there are real contradictions between them, as can be seen from the destruction of the North Stream pipeline by the Americans, because that was as much an attack on Germany, whose power was economic power, industrial power was built on cheap energy from Russia and her own engineering, engineering prowess. So there are contradictions, and the Ukraine war has exacerbated those contradictions. 
they might be sending all 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 of them might be sending weapons etc but increasingly there is less of an enthusiasm for sending these weapons on the part of many imperialist countries the most the foremost the most enthusiastic continue to be the most reactionary the most counter revolutionary namely american imperialism and british imperialism but other countries bit by bit even viscerally anti russian like the poles majority of the polish population does not think it's their their war in ukraine and they should keep away from it so at the moment the anti imperialist movement must concentrate its forces on mobilizing and rallying people around the fight of the russian republic against nato's forces the the defeat of nato forces by at russian hands is the most single important achievement that the anti imperialist movement can achieve it wouldn't bring socialism straight away but the real fight for socialism would only begin once imperialism's power has declined as has been shown to be nothing it will put an end to nato and that would be a big big gain and that that's really what has to be done that's why what we must fight against all those who will tell you it's an imperialist war or russian troops should withdraw from from ukraine on the contrary russia must be given every possible support and it stands every chance of winning this fight and shown nato and showing nato to be literally in mao's words the paper tiger that it is thank you hopal and before we close i just want to make one last observation that ties those things together which is for me one of the signal proofs that russia does not behave like an imperialist power around the world is the way that uh, african people are in their thousands waving russian flags as they seek to kick out the real imperialist marauders from their territories uh, and i think we'll leave it there so thank you very much everybody. can i can i can i can i just just say one, one thing before we go we can't discuss it but the coup that happened in 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 gabon yesterday is important and it will become very important because gabon is a country with very few people two or three million people it's 80% of its land is covered by by rainforest you know so it captures a lot of uh, toxic stuff na naturally and of course it has not only uranium it has many other rich, rich min min minerals like manganese which is very important for production of of, of st st steel and it will become extremely important you will begin to hear more more about gabon so poor old gabon, gabon must not be dismissed out of hand but even the small people of gabon are basically rising against imperialism and it literally the coups in niger and gabon have driven a coach and horses through french domination in 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 west but in afro africo afro african uh, you know francophone africa if you like thank you thank you Thanks for listening to Proletarian Radio. 
we aim to bring you the best Marxist analysis on current affairs, revolutionary history, and theory. Do like, comment, subscribe, and share our content to help us reach the widest possible audience. We are a small organization with limited resources, and we need workers' support if we are to grow and fulfill our mission. If you are able to make a one-off or regular donation, no matter how small, please visit our website at thecommunists.org and register as a supporter.